Let's get into Scripture. This is what we, we, what we have in front of us right now. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6 this morning. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me? This is the word of the Lord. We've been through this before. I'm, I'm not going to do it again. I mean, you remember what happened when we first became Christians? Your parents turned on us. I lost my job. The authorities took our house. Your brother got sent to jail, and you and the kids keep going down there to take him food and books and check in on him. I see how other families look at us. They ridicule us. The other men won't even talk to me. Our family is embarrassed, and we are poor. Come on. Why do we always have to argue about money? Money? I would love to argue about money, but that would require having money to argue about. We have nothing. I finally have another job. Maybe this one I could actually keep the job. Maybe we can climb out of this hole but this time, things are going to be different. We have to watch out for ourselves this time. We have to protect what we have. No more money to that church. No more money to foreigners and strangers who are coming into our town. No more money to your brother down there at the jail. Stop bringing my brother into this. It's, it's not his fault that we're poor. Well, yeah, that's easy for you to say. You guys grew up wealthy. I had nothing. And then we met, and we got married, and we were going places. And then your brother invited you to that church, and you took me and the kids to church. And I know I was fascinated by Jesus, but I didn't realize he was going to cost this much. I don't think you're remembering that situation quite the way it happened. This happens all the time in our marriage. You don't remember things correctly. Like, you don't remember the fact that when we went to that church— I know my brother invited us, and I know that I took you and the kids, but you were the first person to believe. You were the first person to be baptized. And this whole idea that we were rich and happy before we became Christians, you might have had more money, but you were never happy. You were never content. You were always working. You always wanted more money, more respect, more sex. I was never enough for you. You were never happy. You were never content then. Well, you might be right. I mean, you always are, so you, you probably are right. But what are we going to do now? I have no idea what to do now. Yeah, I don't either. I don't know what to do now either. But I do think we need to go to church tomorrow. I heard that our former pastor has taken a lot of his material and kind of compiled it into one sermon. They're calling it a brief word of encouragement, and let's be honest, we could use encouragement. Okay, 
I don't want to go, but I'll go. We'll go to church tomorrow, but it better be brief, and it better not be about money. Okay, so our mystery couple from the middle of the first century, what did they hear when they got to church the next day? Book of Hebrews. And what did they hear when they got the book of Hebrews? Well, chapters 1 through 12, the first 30 minutes or 35 minutes is just Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Don't turn back. Don't go back to what you came from. Don't chase anything else in life. Nothing else is worth chasing. Jesus is better. And then you get to the end of chapter 12, and there's this call to give your life in full devotion to the Lord. Everything else around you seems to be falling apart, but you can trust him. His kingdom cannot be shaken. We give thanks to God. We, we lift up our lives to him. We love tacos, <laughs> the uh, thanksgiving and awe and confession and others and self, this idea of devotion. And then how do you live out your worship to God? By loving other people. Love the church. Love one another as, as brothers and sisters. And at the same time, love outsiders, strangers, foreigners. Love people that others overlook. Love people who are in prison and make sure you are devoted in your marriages and that if you're single, that you're devoted to sexual purity. And then, verse 5. What do you find in verse 5? Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. This idea of keep your life free from love of money. The word life there is your character, the way you live your life, uh, at the risk of using a trendy word. Like it's kind of your vibe. It's just kind of who you are. It's how you live. It's how you go about your day. When you look at a person who is a follower of Jesus, you look at their life, and one way that you would never describe a Christian's life is, man, that person is in love with money. <laughs> that person needs more money. They're driven by money. That's what they are obsessed with. Our character, our way of life should be free from love of money. Now, it's no surprise that this command right here, to be free from love of money, it's no surprise that it follows last week about sexuality, because you take the Ten Commandments, the way those Ten Commandments are laid out, and you have this idea of honoring your father and mother, and the idea of don't commit murder, and so it has to do with how you're treating people, and then you get don't commit adultery, and so it deals with sexuality. And then the very next command there is the idea of not stealing. And it goes into later talking about not coveting. And so this progression from how we treat people to how we handle sexuality to how we handle money, all of those things are purposely brought together. This idea of love, love other people, but don't love money. Love people, not possessions. When things are going well in our life as Christians, we will love people and we will use money to help people. When things are going sideways in our lives, we love money and we will use people to get more money. The way you can tell what's going on in your life is do I love people or do I love money? Am I devoted to the things of God or am I devoted to the things of this world? If you want to see what this really looks like, and we're not going to get into this portion of Scripture in depth this morning, but I'm reading through the Sermon on the Mount, 
with a couple of groups of guys this year, and we're just kind of text message and talking about it. Matthew chapter 6 was this passage we were in this week, and this whole idea where Jesus says to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Don't put your treasures here on earth. And then he says, be very clear, you can't be devoted. You can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or hate the other. Very simply, you cannot serve God and money. This idea of not loving money, if you need a reference point in the New Testament that's probably most famous for this, and we're going to jump over there a couple of times this morning, it's 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me put a couple of these verses in front of you. When we think about this idea of not loving money, not being driven by love of money, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Not good. Verse 10, look at verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And listen to this. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This idea that when our lives are obsessed with money, when we fall in love with getting more money, it can lead us away from the faith. Well, what's the book of Hebrews obsessed with? The book of Hebrews is obsessed with getting people not to go away from the faith. And so we don't want love of money to take us away from the things of the Lord. Okay, I get that. You're like, yeah, I'm with you. How does that happen? How do we not love money? What is the answer to this? Well, the Bible gives you right there. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. How do I do that? Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. That word content in your Bible, it can feel like a very weak word, but I'm going to argue this morning it's a word that has to do with strength. It requires a lot of strength to get there. The word content means satisfied. It means the idea that I am pleased with where I am, with what I have right now. And probably the word that I'm going to push with you the most this morning is when you see content, enough, enough. We're going to come back to that word over and over and over and over this morning. To be content, the word says, I have enough with what you have. The language there speaks to the here and now. I have enough right now. Where I am, what I'm dealing with, I have enough. I don't need to love money. I don't need to chase those things anymore. What messes with contentment in our lives? Well, if you don't want to be content, probably the easiest thing you need to do is to start comparing yourself with what other people have. <laughs> like that, that is guaranteed to kill contentment if you go around comparing what you have with what other people have. Cheesy, old, old quote, but it works every time. The idea that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison will steal your joy every single time. You look at what somebody else has, the friendships they have, the clothes they have, the car they have, the job they have, the kids they have. You go, the spouse they have, you go on and on and on. When you get in this comparison game, it will kill contentment. It will kill the joy in your life. Amanda mentioned something to me this week that I had not, not thought about very much, but the more I think about it, the more I see what's going on there. The idea that when we look to our past, 
so often regret about something that we did or didn't do in our past steals the contentment from our life today. So what we do is we look back and we say, if I would have done X back then, then I could be happy today. Well, friends, that's a losing game. Because you're going back and trying to change the past, trying to change things that would have happened then, and you're saying, if I would have done something differently then, my life would be different today. You're putting your eggs in the wrong basket at that point. That's not where contentment is found. And then probably the thing that drives us most away from contentment is just this idea of looking to the future, saying, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more. Write this down somewhere. It's going to be up on the screen. Here's the spiritual battle that we face, okay? Teenagers, you face this battle. Senior adults, you face this battle. We face a battle, a spiritual battle in our lives between more versus enough. Not M-O-O-R-E, okay? (laughs) But M-O-R-E. The battle that you face in your life is between more and enough, This lie that we believe, this lie that we deal with in our life that says contentment is just around the corner. I only need a little bit more. Like if we just made a little bit more money, just a little bit more money, man, then I would be content. Or, I've told you this story before, but I put my wife through this during uh, the doctoral program. I told my wife, every semester, babe, next semester. Man, it's just going to be so much easier and, and we're going to be so content, and life is going to be good. Guess what I told her next semester? Next semester. Like, if we just get to next semester, like, it's going to be, it's going to be so much. And we start to tell ourselves that the answer to contentment is the next season in life, the one we don't have. So if I could just get married, man, then I would be content and happy. If I could just get out of this relationship, then I would be content and happy. If I could just get another job, then I would be content and happy. And we begin to base the peace and the joy and the value of our life on circumstances that if something just changed a little bit, then I could be content. But what did the Bible tell us? Be content with what you have right now. First Timothy, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. Now that verse might sound like the phrase, I brought you into the world and I can take you out of it. Different phrase, all right? That's not in the Bible. You may have heard that. That is not in the Bible. Different phrase. This is, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Every person in this room, probably close to every day, fights a spiritual battle between do I need more or do I have enough? More versus enough. How do you win that battle? What's the secret to winning that battle? Man, this is where the Bible is so amazing. The very next phrase in Hebrews 13 answers the question about how you win this battle. What happens next in your Bible in Hebrews 13? Well, right after it says, be content with what you have, check out the language here. It says, for he has said, speaking of God, and then it gives you a scripture quotation from the Old Testament, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say in response, we can confess, the Lord is my helper, 
I will not fear what can man do to me. How do you win the battle for contentment? The battle for contentment is based on who you listen to and what you say in response to that. The battle for contentment in your life, this more versus enough, this battle that we all face, it is based on who you listen to and then what we say, and let's be honest, most of the time it's us talking to ourselves <laughs> in these moments, like we're saying, this is what I believe to be true. We have to listen to what God says is true about his character and his work in our lives. Because if we listen to the other voices in our lives, so often we'll just think about, man, I don't have enough, I'll never have enough, I'm not good enough, I'm never going to be happy. It just, it just starts to build up. We listen to what God says is true. And then we confess back to him, sometimes as a church, we, we gather to do that, and sometimes it's just you in the mirror in the morning saying, this is what I say is going to be true about my life. And you say, do I really have to say these things out loud? No, you, you don't. This is not a magic formula. This is not something, we're not just talking about this like word faith. We're not talking about that. Should you say this out loud? I would argue for yes. There is something powerful. Cheesy, yes. Embarrassing, probably. You know, maybe you're going to do it where nobody can see you or nobody's around. But if you start your morning, if you start your day receiving from the Lord what is true about his character and his work in your life, and then audibly speaking back what is true about God and your hope in him, man, that'll make a difference in how you live your day. It will make a difference in what you think about during the day, what you claim to be important during the day. And so what I want to do this morning for you is I just want to give you three ideas about God's character that are true from Scripture, and then three things that you can say back to the Lord. It's up to you whether you do this tomorrow morning at 6.30. Like, that is balls in your court on that, okay? What I want to help you do is I want to help you win the war of contentment in your life, this more versus enough. I want you to embrace that, yes, I have enough because of the Lord. What we want to do, though, is how we win that victory is we have to receive the truth from God, and then we have to speak it back. So number one is already up there on the screen for you. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews, the preacher there, he gave you the first one. What does God say to us? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we say in response, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Discontentment feeds off fear. Discontentment in our life feeds off fear. Fear that we're not going to have enough to retire. Fear that we're not going to have enough to send our kids to college. Fear that I'm going to be left out of a group because I don't have something or I don't meet up to a criteria. Discontentment feeds off fear. But we are not buying that lie because we know that God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The one who ultimately matters, the one who deserves our devotion, he says, I'll always be with you. And we say in response, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Why am I going to worry what another person's going to say about me or what they're going to do to me? That's what I believe to be true is what God says. Okay, let's try on a couple more. You could come up with a ton of these. You could come up with hundreds of these on your own from the Bible. Let me give you two more this morning before we wrap up. Number two, what is true is that the Lord 
is my shepherd, okay? So through Scripture, through Scripture, God says to us over and over again, I will provide for you. I will provide for you. And we say in response, I have enough. God says in Scripture over and over and over again that he will meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He has given us everything, every good and perfect gift comes from above. He is the creator. He is the good shepherd. He is the good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. He's the one who causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends rain on those who are good and those who don't deserve it. He gives us everything we have comes from God and everything we have is for God. And so we can say, I have enough. And man, enough is one of the most countercultural things that you could ever say in your life. Let me give you an example, okay? Here's the example. Think about this. You go to Olive Garden, all right? I've got somebody in my life who Olive Garden's kind of like the top restaurant for them. Absolutely love it. You go to the Olive Garden, you get down there, you get your salad, breadsticks, whatever else you might order from there, and they bring out the little cheese grater. And what do they tell you? Tell me when to stop. Now, You've never thought of that as a spiritual moment in your life, okay? Uh, but that's a spiritual moment in your life because what do you have to say at some point? You've got to say enough, like, stop. But, man, it's hard because you just see the, you see the cheese piling up. And you're like, this salad, I wasn't excited about it, but I'm getting more excited every time. Like, he pulls that crank. Like, you're putting the cheese on there. At some point, you have to say, stop, enough. Guess what? In life, everything put in front of us, we don't have to eat. Everything put in front of us, we don't have to buy. Every opportunity put in front of us, we don't have to take. We can say enough, and enough is a spiritual statement because it says, I don't need those things to be valuable. I don't need those things to have peace. I don't need those things to have joy. I have enough because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when life goes dark and bad and I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to be afraid because he's right there with me. And those people who have set themselves up as my enemies, I'm not worried about them because the Lord's going to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's going to anoint my head with oil. My cup is already overflowing. I don't need anything else to make my cup overflow more. God is doing that work. And that work continues for all of eternity because surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell with the Lord forever. Friend, you have enough. You can be content because the Lord is your shepherd. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 12 about a man who had a huge uh, crop, a huge harvest one year. And this guy, you know what he decided to do? He said, I'm going to tear down my old barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns. That way I can put all these things in the barn, and then I'm just going to sit back and relax, and life is good because me and my family, we're protected. Everything is good. You know what Jesus said about that? He was not crazy about that guy's decision. Like, he called him a fool in that moment because he was laying up treasure here on earth, not being generous toward the things of God. We have to be so careful that our lives are not defined by consumption and accumulation. Our lives should be defined by generosity. 
Now, let me give you one opportunity to argue back with me here on something, okay? If you are a driven person, competitive person, the idea of contentment could be really frustrating for you. So let's imagine you're in here and you're a business owner and one of your employees comes up to you this week and they just keep missing their sales numbers. Like they're not even close. And you're like, what's up? Like, wh what are you doing? Sir, I'm, I'm just content. Like, I'm good. Like, I, I was content with last month's sales. I just thought I would probably, you know, the Lord's my shepherd. I, I was just good with that. Are you going to think that that's a healthy contentment? No, you're going to be really frustrated in that moment. Hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. Contentment does not mean laziness. Because Jesus also told the story about people who were given certain talents, certain things to, to be good managers and stewards of. You know which one he got most angry with? The person who went and buried it in the ground and didn't do anything with it. Contentment does not mean laziness. Contentment does not mean passivity. Contentment means freedom to be the person that God has created you to be. Because you don't need more in order to prove yourself to someone or to impress people. If God gives you more, the reason you have more is you can serve more people. You can invest in more kingdom initiatives. If God gives me more, it's not for my own protection, for my own purposes. It's so that I can be used by the Lord. Let me give you a really personal illustration, and then we'll move, we'll move on. Personal illustration here. Pastors can be the world's worst at being discontent. Pastor, you just want more people to come to your church. You just want more money. You just want more. And that is a dangerous thing, because if a pastor needs more people to come to their church in order to feel valuable or meaningful— then I start to use you to make me feel better, and we are in a bad place as a church at that point. If God blesses us with more people, if we are faithful to the gospel, if we are faithful to reach out, and we see that good fruit in our church, and we're able to give more to missions, and we're able to build more buildings because we want to reach families in our area, and more people come, praise God for that. But our contentment is not based on that. Our contentment is based on who God is and what he's done in our lives. He has given us enough. Let me throw a couple of verses at you from 1 Timothy chapter 6 again. That's just such a great place in Scripture to come back to. 1, chapter, or 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's look at verse 17. We have enough to enjoy. The rich in this present age, and if you think for a moment I'm not rich, just remember compared to the entire globe, you are absolutely rich. I know you may not feel like it. You may be in a hard place financially. But for us living where we live, almost all of us qualify rich in a global scheme. For the rich in this present age, charge them not to be prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, there's a surprising word in the Bible, because as Christians, we sometimes grow up with this idea that if we have nice things, the automatic response is, I'm supposed to feel guilty for that, or I'm supposed to feel bad about that. Contentment is not poverty. Contentment is a realization that everything I have comes from God and only from him, and I'm going to use it for his glory. And so if God has given you something that is nice, your call is not to be guilty. It's to enjoy that as an act of worship toward the Lord. But then look at the next verse, verses 18 and 19. What are you supposed to do with those riches? Do good. Be rich in good works. 
be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future to take hold of that which is truly life. I want to say very directly to you this morning, you have enough to give to the things of God. You have enough to give to the things of God. Students, I want to help you guys here, okay? <laughs> you get the first job. You start to think about what am I supposed to do with the check. You look at the check, and they're deducting money out of your check before you've even done anything with it. You're like, where's that money going? Like, who is taking my money? Well, that's our friend, the government. They're t- you know, like, that realization when you look at your first pay stub and you see all that money disappearing, man, your stomach just sinks at that point. But you see that. Here's the key to giving. I learned this from my mom. I've seen it countless families. You will give when you predecide that I will give the first fruits. Like I will give at the beginning. Because if you make giving a priority and you give at the beginning what you're given, you will have enough to give. I can promise you, if you wait to see how much you have left over to give from that, yeah, it's not gonna go well. I can tell you that from personal experience. Last week we talked about you predecide this is where I draw the line with sexual purity. When it comes to money, you predecide from the beginning, I have enough to give. And, and adults, let's be honest, we need to hear this as well. Because if we're waiting to see how much we have left over to give, we're always going to be in trouble. But you have enough to give because everything you have has come from God, and we give the first fruits back to him. All right, number three, let's wrap up with this. So the first thing, the Lord is my helper, I'm not going to be afraid. Second, the Lord is my shepherd. I have just what I need. I have enough. And number three, the Lord is my strength. He says, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. Isaiah 41. And we say, Jesus is enough. I won't be afraid. I have enough for right now. Jesus is enough. When our friends from Water's Edge visit churches, when Wendell goes around to churches, there's a couple of different videos that they use we, we played the one up there where you kind of draw it out, and it's a really cool video. The other video they use is a video that was put together um, this, based on the story of Shane and Misty Hall. Uh, Shane Hall was the pastor at one point. Uh, he's been a pastor a lot of places, but he was my brother and sister-in-law's pastor at First Baptist Lawton. And so I first knew Shane when he was at First Baptist Lawton. He was the pastor for my brother. And then he became the pastor at First Southern Baptist Church in, in Dell City. And I watched the video that they put together, and I couldn't get it through it because of the emotion. So I was like, I'm not going to show the video this morning. But I do want to tell you what it's about because it ties into this last point. Several years ago, Shane was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of, of cancer. And he went through treatment over several years, but he ultimately died late 2017, maybe early 2018. I don't remember exactly when. But during that time, Misty shares in this Water's Edge video about how important it was that Shane had prepared ahead of time for her and the girls. So when the time of his passing, way younger than he ever imagined would happen, that they were taken care of. But here's the other thing I want you to know about Shane. In the summer of 2017, Shane Hall was asked to preach the closing message at the Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference. Lots of people come together, different sermons are preached. Shane preached that final sermon over Philippians 4.13. And he stood up there and he's weak. You can see the effects of cancer on his life. He's got a couple of months to live. And over 
And over and over in that sermon, Shane just kept saying, Jesus is enough. Jesus is all you need. For better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, Jesus is enough. He has dealt with your sin. He has overcome the power of the grave. He has given you everything you need. He has surrounded you with people who love you. He has given you the gift of this word, the gift of the church. Jesus is enough. You can trust in him. And we have a verse like Philippians 4.13, probably on the Mount Rushmore of misused Bible verses in the Bible. We hear, I can do all things through Christ, and it, it shows up on a football poster at a game, or it's put up on a company, corporate, you know, wall. I can do all things through Christ comes right after a set of verses where Paul says, I know what it is to have a lot, and I know what it is to not have very much. I know what it is to be taken care of, and I know what it is to be in a lot of trouble. And I can tell you that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't know what you're facing this morning. It could be financial. It could be in your family. It could be at your job. It could be a sickness. And I want to end this morning by telling you, whatever you are facing right now, Jesus is enough. You don't have to be afraid. You have everything you need. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Would you bow your heads with me? God, every one of us here knows that battle for contentment. Probably if we were to rank ourselves right now on a scale of 1 to 10 for how content we feel, most of us would, would not score <laughs> score great on, on that type of a, a test. God, we feel like other people have more. We always want more. We always feel just unsettled in life. And your word comes to us to say that we have enough because Jesus is enough. We have enough because Jesus is enough. God, would you make us a church that gives? Would you make us a church that invests eternally? But we know those things only happen when we realize that everything we have comes from you. God, we know that when we are not content, we can be hard people to be around. <laughs> we're anxious, we're angry, we're frustrated, we're unsettled. It is hard to be around people who are discontent. But we can be content because of the truth that you have given us and what we say in response. And so, God, once more, in response, we come together to say we will not be afraid. We have enough. Jesus is enough. God, let us believe that that's true. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.